thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Monday to Friday, Friday. 9am till 12pm. This is Today with Kino Kamis on Cape Talk. And without any further ado, time for us to go to Dr. Chris Smith, the Naked Scientist. Chris, let me personally apologize for being late today. Um, Obviously, things are very, very difficult with COVID-19. And we had to chat to the Premier and the Director General of Health, which um, was obviously going to take up some time there. So I do appreciate your patience, sir. Yeah, you're late for class, uh, Kino. There'll be lines next, (laughs) next time. You promise? Okay, no problem. (laughs) Now, time for us to get asking, really. Um, You've noticed something around you. You want to know, hey, why does this do that? Well, Dr. Chris Smith, the naked scientist, will be able to answer that. I have one for you. It's a discussion we had, Chris. Um, Someone called into the show and said, you know what? We should have just left the coronavirus. Leave it. Leave business open. And, you know, if you look at the amount of people who die thanks to COVID-19, you compare that to TB and everything else, it's not a problem. <laughs> uh, what would your response to that be? Well, do you know, someone wrote a letter to one of our national newspapers in the UK, the Daily Telegraph. It was about two or three months ago. And this person said, I'm 93 years old. I'm a retired surgeon. And when I was working in medicine, something like this would have come through because we didn't have the power of diagnostics and modern virology and the ability to detect and sequence and pursue these sorts of infectious diseases around the world in the way we do these days, we wouldn't have been able to preempt its arrival. It would have come, it would have come through like a flood in the night and then it would have been gone. We would have concluded, wow, that was a bad year for flu. And then only probably in retrospect might we have found out what it was. And then we would have picked ourselves up and moved on. And this is a sort of stiff upper lip mentality, but what this person was hinting at is that, in his, to his mind, that we've dealt with these sorts of things in the past in that sort of way, and he felt that perhaps there was an overreaction to this. Now, there are two ways of looking at this. One way is to say, well, perhaps he's right, and perhaps actually we are paralysing the entire world economy. We're paralysing everyone's lives, everyone's businesses. There will be enormous casualties and repercussions and reverberations because of this for people for years to come. Economies will be feeling the pinch because of this for a really long time. People are going to lose their jobs. They're going to lose their houses. They're going to lose their businesses because of this. And poverty itself breeds ill health. So, What is going to be the cost of this because of the economic consequences in health terms? Because it's very easy to focus just on the virological cost, people dying Mm. at the direct deaths. There are secondary deaths. There are knock-on effects. And that's what this gentleman was hinting at. And then on the flip side of the coin is to say, well, we're human beings and we have an enormous kinship and we care about each other as social species and we look after each other. And if we can see that there's a threat coming, ethically and morally, 
are we comfortable to just ignore the threat and say, well, we'll let that go through, knowing that there are people in society that we can identify, that we can help. And if we don't help them, then they will succumb to this. Now, that's the dilemma. And there are arguments one way or the other way. And if you ask mm. people, I had, an, I had an email from a general practitioner the other day who said he was a retired GP and on the list of people with risk disorders. He had emphysema, mm. so that's chest disorder, and he had uh, diabetes and obesity. And his point to me was, he said, I would rather take my chances with coronavirus than die a slow financial death that effectively we're, we're all going to be destined for. So he's, mm. he's also taking that sort of view. I think really until you're in the group of people who are at risk like that and facing being shielded and locked down indefinitely, I think I, I, I can't personally comment on it apart from to say I can sure. see why there are two schools of thought. And I think perhaps we should ask what do people who are in those risk groups think? Some may say to hell with it. Uh, you know, I'd rather take my chances. Others may say, I quite like having my life. I don't want to lose it. Now, thanks for that, Chris. Uh, two other uh, messages that have come through here via WhatsApp. Good morning, Kino. Would you, would Dr. Smith please comment on what Trump said about UV light and coronavirus? Uh, is there any validity at all? And that's from Zuki. I don't know what uh, Donald Trump said about UV light, but what I can say is what we know about it. And UV, ultraviolet light, is highly intense ionising radiation from the sun. The shorter wavelengths, UVB and UVC, are strongly attenuated by the atmosphere and the ozone layer. So what arrives at the outer reaches of our planet, only a fraction of that gets down to the Earth's surface. But it's responsible for damaging your skin and causing sunburn. And if you have too much UV... You, you can damage DNA and this can cause skin cancer. So people with pale and pasty skin like me are much higher risk of getting burned, for example. Mm. Uh, mm. Now, the reason it damages your DNA is because there's enough energy in the light waves that it will rip apart your DNA molecules, introduce chemical changes in them, and this is a step towards getting skin cancer. If it can do that to my skin cells, it can also do that under certain circumstances to the genetic information in viruses. And so one reason why viruses might spread less well when it's bright and sunny in sunny places and in summer times is because there is a higher fraction of the shorter wavelengths of ultraviolet light in the light that's reaching the Earth's surface at that time of year. And, and it's certainly true that there is more UVB and UVA in summer than in wintertime. Mm. Now, UVA is not energetic enough to do this, but UVB might be able to. There's a bit of a paucity of data on this, and but, but there's a theoretical possibility that it might be able to be, just by increasing the amount of UVB, enough there to suppress the uh, time that a virus and other infectious diseases can survive in the environment. So one reason why viruses do spread less well in the summer than in the winter might be, apart from changes in humidity, the fact that more people spend more time outdoors, the windows are open more, so you're changing the air in buildings more often, is that there's also possibly a contribution from mm. ultraviolet rays as well. Now, Trump said, um, suggested that you put a UV light in the body through the skin. Um, no, that's a new that. one on me. I'm not familiar with that. But um, certainly mm. the viruses out in the outside being being exposed to ultraviolet there's some mm. theoretical uh, prospect of okay. them being deactivated via that route. And then someone was quite fascinated by your description, I think it was about two weeks ago, a question came in uh, asking, 
why COVID-19 could not be made in a lab. And I've now received this message. Could Dr. Chris please explain that once again? Yeah. Okay. The genetic sequence of the virus has been read in detail and dissected so that we can now look at where this virus came from, what its ancestors are, and also unpick how it's jumped the species barrier and got into people. The virus genetic code is more than 96% the same as a bat coronavirus that we already knew about in the database. It's also got a chunk in there of a sequence from a pangolin. And these are, I think, African pangolins. But pangolins are a scaly mammal. They're now on the endangered list, but they are very much on people's dinner menus, wish lists and homeopathy remedy uh, lists for the Far East. So there's an enormous illegal trade of them to China and Vietnam and Thailand. And when they're taken, the animals are alive, of course, to keep them fresh, and they're put into markets. And if you've got one live animal next to another live animal and they're infected with different viruses, when you've got animals that would never meet in this way in the wild, in close proximity to each other in a market, there's a chance for things to jump from one to the other. And the theory goes that this pangolin had a coronavirus, a bat had a coronavirus, the two managed to get together and swap some genetic information, and this has led to this hybrid virus. This accounts for what we see, because the sequences that are there are naturally found in both animals, and it's easy to account for how they could trade genes between these two viruses to make this hybrid, which then got the ability to jump into humans. It doesn't have the whiff about it of it having been done unnaturally. So there's no evidence at all that someone did this unnaturally. So although you can never say never in medicine and science, the likelihood is way down the list that someone made this. It's much more likely that they didn't and nature made this, but we made it possible or increasingly likely that nature would do this by putting these animals together and giving them the chance in the market to trade genes in this way. And if you are tuned in i mean i would imagine if you're hearing this voice you tuned in to get talk uh your guest is dr chris smith the naked scientist answering those questions about everyday life giving you that scientific twist to it as well good morning cape talk it's gail here uh could kino ask uh, the naked scientist how they are disposing of this mountain of um used garments and gear that is going on in the hospitals and just generally, um, I did care work in England, and I know they were very, very strict with um, anything medical. So it would be interesting because it's a ginormous amount. Okay, thank you. That's an Bye. interesting question indeed, yeah. Yeah, hi, hi, Gail. Depends. Some pieces of equipment can be recycled and reused. And this includes things used in operating theatres. It includes things like actually material scrubs and that kind of thing. These sorts of things can either, in the case of medical instruments, be put through a process called autoclaving. And autoclaving is a very high-pressure, high-temperature oven, for want of a better phrase, that sterilizes stuff. You can also wash garments and other materials and other things like that, and linens at high temperature with lots of uh, detergent, and this will destroy any microorganisms and render those safe. In terms of single-use pieces of PPE, personal protective equipment, this is a different story. Those are single use for a reason. They're judged to be too uh, unworthwhile or low value to recycle. The cost of recycling, cleaning, reusing and then quality assuring them is too high 
to justify doing that compared to the price of the original piece of equipment. So these things are put into safe disposal bags and they're usually burned. Under exceptional circumstances, they might end up in landfill, but I'd be very surprised. You should, with things that are potentially infectious, they should be put into an incinerator and uh, then burned off. And sometimes these incinerators are combined with power generation and heat generation facilities, so you actually get some bang back for your buck. But that's what should be happening. They should be going away in specially marked up clinical waste bags and then being burned off. Final question, Bill in French Hook. Hi there, Bill. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, it's about the immune system. Um, I've read two articles and heard comments that uh, contradict each other. One is that a lot of people die because when the lungs get infected, their immune system goes into overdrive or panic mode, produces toxins or whatever to stop this uh, infection, and you get, basically you choke to death. On the other hand, they tell older people like me that my immune system is weak, Therefore, I'm at high risk. If my immune system is weak, it won't it won't go into overdrive and panic mode, so I live. Yeah. So those are the two things. Okay. One is a weak immune system is good, and the other one is a weak immune system is bad. Yeah, it seems Chris? to be a sort of contra- con- contradictory story, doesn't it, Bill? We don't know for sure at the moment why some people are more susceptible to this coronavirus manifestation than others, but you're absolutely right that people who are older are at higher risk, people who are older often tend to succumb to other infections because their immune system doesn't work in quite the same way as it did when they were younger. We're trying to learn more about why this might happen, but one theory as to why it might happen might be prior experience with other members of the coronavirus family. If you catch other members of the coronavirus family, you make antibodies against those viruses, and when you catch the new coronavirus, it's possible that the antibodies you've made against other coronaviruses then help to enhance the infection you get with the new coronavirus. That's one theory. Another is that it's the coexistence of of diseases as you get older. Things like high blood pressure and diabetes and obesity can increase the levels in the lungs of the receptor that the virus is going for on cells to enable it to get into our lung tissue. And it might be that that, together with an immune response which is not quite as good as it used to be, encourages the virus to run amok. We just don't know at the moment, but scientists are actively pursuing this for obvious reasons, because if we can find out why it happens, we can then understand this mechanism. And we have a range of drugs that will manipulate the immune system, and these could be used to intervene meaningfully and turn off this overreaction that we think is leading to the deaths um, of about 1% of people who catch coronavirus. Well, Dr. Chris Smith, always a pleasure chatting to you. Next week, I'll be in class on time. (laughs) Yeah, there will be lines. (laughs) Take care, Kino. Stay well. Have a good one and have a safe weekend, Chris. Thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.